If you're the parent of an adult child who's struggling with either substance abuse or some other addictive pattern of behavior, you may feel desperate to help. But having the same conversation over and over and hoping that something will change is the definition of insanity. In this special bonus episode, I'm going to lay out the tenets of coaching, which is the exact opposite of teaching, so that you can stop unknowingly reinforcing the limiting beliefs that are holding your child back and actually empower them to take actions that move them forward. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach, helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. Before I dive into this episode, which really isn't a podcast episode. It wasn't designed for that. I recorded this audio in response to a client who called me in a panic that there was a situation with her son who is mid-20s and drinking was involved. And she wanted me to coach her on how to coach versus show up as a parent who's upset and in a stress response And because she's been coaching with me, she knows that bringing all those emotions into the situation are guaranteed to just make things worse. And as a parent myself with four kids in their 20s, I am very well aware that our instincts to show up and help and to fix and to soothe and to guide are usually the exact opposite of what our kids need. And I only know that because I have a master's degree in coaching, plus a year-long certification in specifically coaching for addiction recovery, and thousands of hours of experience. And yet, as soon as you put this mama on the mat, I often revert to the very strategies that I know are not helpful. So while I strongly recommend that you use this episode to simply help you get through a singular conversation and you don't actually try to be the coach for your kid, the principles and strategies I lay out in this episode can be very helpful or at the very least, not make things worse. And so before I do this, I do wanna offer two resources that if you are struggling chronically with a situation, you need to get help for yourself. And the two things I recommend are, the first one is a podcast by my friend, my coach, Heather Ross, and her podcast is called Living With Your Child's Addiction. And then the book called Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change by Jeffrey Foote. There's also a workbook that goes with the Beyond Addiction book, and I highly recommend you immediately order both and then start listening to Heather's podcast because I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface in the next 45 minutes. This is more of a pep talk and an introduction to the skills that you're going to want and need to master to really show up differently for your child. Please consider this only as a good place to start. And feel free to send me an email if you have any questions. So let's dive in. So this episode is designed to be a tool guide, a resource, a pep talk, and even a cautionary tale of what you need to know before you try to help someone that you love. As I record this, I am going to share with you how to become a coach without going to coaching school and the principles that I use to help my clients and also straddling that knowledge, that experience that I have professionally with my own experience of being a parent 
and a sibling to people who come to me for help and I am in a helper role and I really want to help them. What I have learned through my coaching education, which I have a master's degree and postgraduate work in various types and styles of coaching. But what I have learned from being a coach is it is the exact opposite of being a teacher. It's a completely different approach to helping someone. And I like it so much more than the expert model where we go to somebody, we hand them our faith and our well-being and even our common sense, and we let them look at us and diagnose the problem. You know, and having been in a place in my life where I was willing to like literally do anything that anybody else tells me to do because I'm I'm clearly not capable of figuring it out myself. Sometimes our people get into that position and are willing to just do what they're told. But for the most part, the first thing you need to understand if you are trying to help someone is that you can't help somebody who didn't ask for help. And so if you are thinking about having a conversation or trying to do your best to be there for somebody, the first thing you need to establish is if they are asking for your help, do they want your help? And that requires a very specific consent. So you have to ask for permission to help someone and they need to understand that you are trying to help them and they need to give their consent. Why is this so important? Because especially if the relationship you're dealing with is a loved one and the boundaries are not clear, this asking for consent and establishing that you're creating almost a container um, where there's going to be a conversation and it's going to have a start and an end time and it's outside the boundaries of your normal you know parent child or sibling to sibling relationship then that primes the person who is needing help wanting help that primes them to open their mind to accept so it's kind of like the vampire rule, like if, if you don't invite the vampire in, they can't come in. Um, it's the same thing with helpers. You have to invite the help. And this is very important upfront to be very clear and transparent that this conversation is, does have an agenda and be honest about what that agenda is, and even be open and vulnerable about your own limitations, and perhaps putting in safe words. You know, if something gets emotional, uh, or somebody's, you know, feeling, yeah, emotional, then the conversation would need to be put on pause until people can regulate their nervous systems and decide if they need or want to continue the conversation. So when you're helping somebody, it is very important to follow that rule because otherwise, again, things get lost in the boundaries and the old ways or the relationship dynamics, the codependent things, you know, and what I want to offer is that if you're listening to this and you're planning to apply the advice that I'm sharing with you to a conversation, chances are the relationship you're talking about is one where you have codependent uh, ties. What does that mean? Codependent means that emotionally, your well-being is tied to their well-being. You need them to feel better or do better so that you can feel better. And you must be honest about that with yourself and with them, because when you have a feeling during the conversation of graspiness or the need to fix or change the person who you're trying to help's reality, you need to allow your emotions to tell you to back the fuck off. When I am coaching somebody, I allow my emotions to be my guide. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this with a couple of points. But basically, when I get it 
when I get into fix it mode, which means somebody's told me a story and I'm now in the story and trying to solve the problem within the framework of the story, like, oh, this happened and so you should do X, Y, or Z, then I am no longer, I'm part of the problem, not the solution. One of my favorite things to remember and to tell my own clients is that if I believe your story, we're both screwed. Because the solution to any problem is always outside of the story. You can't solve a problem with the mindset that sees the problem because it is the mindset that is creating the problem. If you zoom way out and if you're following me with emotional sobriety work, like everything in the world is neutral. And that's a framework. I don't actually mean to take away your morals or values, but I operate under the emotional sobriety framework where external world, external things, situations, people, all of it, it just is what it is. It's not good or bad or right or wrong, or it's not a success. It's not a failure. It's just neutral. And when you learn how to separate a circumstance from your thoughts and feelings and judgments and meanings and projections and ties to the past and predictions of the future. When you learn how to separate all of that stuff out, then you're able to just observe a situation from a neutral place. That's when you can see all of the other options. Eventually, you can reapply your morals and values and judgments, right? But in a specific moment, it's very helpful with coaching to realize that you're dealing with a story and that really all problems are not the facts of a situation. They're what you're making those facts mean. And if you want to change the future so that it is not simply a trajectory of the past where the same things mean the same things and you think this and you do this and you say this and you're just getting stuck in these repetitive patterns, if you want the future to be different from the past, then you have to escape these stories. You have to escape these patterns. You can choose to go back into them, but there's nothing more freeing in a moment to realize that you know, the situation is not the problem. It's always your thoughts and feelings about the situation. No situation is a problem. It just is what it is. And I want to give you a a quick example of, of how that is. Like, think in the wild when a, a large cat eats a small bunny. Well, if you're the bunny's babies, that's murder, that's catastrophic, that's the end of the world, probably the baby's life too. They probably won't survive. The mother isn't coming home. If you're the big cat, the big cat is taking the bunny home to its babies and feeding its cubs and being a wonderful mother and nurturing her, you know, she's doing what she's supposed to do. In the end, a cat ate a bunny. It is what it is. Again, it's not good or bad or right or wrong. So in any situation, you want to get to a place with the person that you're trying to help of being able to see the situation as neutral and the interpretation of the situation as a choice. And that the choice that you make to interpret the situation is actually then what's going to seed your decision making in the future and cause new results and new actions and new things to happen in your life. Okay. So, um, what I want, the next thing I want to talk about is the premise of coaching. Like as a, an emergency certified coach who's trying to help someone, the thing you need to assume the premise of coaching that I operate from when I work with clients is that the person I am working with is inherently capable of solving their own problems and that I have no agenda as to what is right for them or what they need to do. So as a coach, you have to come into these conversations from a a, a place of neutrality as well as good faith. So if you see the person that you are speaking with as mentally ill 
And what does that mean? Because I mean, we're all a little mentally ill, right? What does it mean to be mentally ill? If you see that their version of reality is inherently the problem, it is their primary obstacle, that they are not dealing with a full deck of cards, they are not capable of seeing reality, they are not capable of helping themselves, then you have no business trying to help them because you can't help them. You're not qualified and neither am I. So the first question you want to ask yourself before you go into a coaching attempt in a, you know, non-educated layperson doing your best sort of way is to ask yourself, do I think they're actually capable? And again, that ties back to you listening to your emotions, because if indeed you do not see them as whole and, uh, and capable, then you cannot help them and you have no business trying. You'll probably, not probably, you will only make it worse. And when I say mental health or mental illness as being a problem, you know, there's a thousand shades of gray in the spectrum between mental illness and mental health. I am not saying that somebody that you're working with, that they likely are dealing with depression and anxiety. But in my book, those are not diseases. Those are neutral. They are emotional states, probably prolonged emotional states, also habits of reaction, okay? Also brain chemistry, all sorts of things. But I don't identify people as depressed or people as anxious. I identify people who are experiencing depression and anxiety and that they, again, are perfectly capable of changing the way they're responding to their depression and anxiety in a way that serves them. Okay. So the goal of a coaching session is to see somebody who wants help, has consented to help, is capable of help, of accepting help. And the goal as your role in the helper in this situation is to hold space for the more powerful version of them. Like when I get on a discovery call with people and we are trying to establish point A and point B, where you're at and where you wanna be, I help them create a vision of point B and then try to reverse engineer the steps that would need, what, what's the next step, what are all the steps, what's the timeline, what support do you need, okay? But I help them see that there is a point A and a point B. And my goal is to help them orient themselves as being in a change process and where they're at in the change process. So just understanding that who you are in this moment is not who you're going to be in a year, no matter what you do, it's going to be different. And helping them see that they have options and choices for where they, who, who they are and what they, where they wanna be in a year That's what your job is to do, is to hold space for that point B, that version of themselves that they would like to see um, in a year. And then the other thing I will say about the premise of coaching is that there is the number one determinant in terms of helping someone, helping someone change, helping someone see something that they can't see, is the relationship their ability to trust you, which is why taking the steps that I've already talked about, asking for permission, um, making sure that you believe that they're capable, and then holding that space for the future version of them that they want to be. That is why if you can't consent and agree to those things, again, you have no business trying to help them. Because their, their uh, experience of themselves as you reflect what you see to them they have to trust you and they have to feel safe. So again, the number one determinant in your ability to help somebody change is the relationship. And that is why pitfalls abound and you can only do the best you can with someone you love. But this is why trying to help a family member is so difficult. You know, I am very experienced as a coach. I'm um, very educated. And still, I tread so lightly with my own kids and with my own people in my life. You know, I 
if, if there's an emergency situation or, and, and my kids, they will come to me, but it's always like a one-off. It's a one and done. Like I don't coach my friends and my family. Um, I certainly can help somebody make sense of it. That's my superpower and orient themselves. But then always, you know, the next step is what else do you need to support yourself to get where you're going to go? Let me help you help yourself. But I don't see myself as the primary uh, space holder for that because there is, we, we just do have codependent dynamics in our relationship and it is very high level skill set to be able to interact with someone you love and not let your own emotions play a role. So just understand that you being aware of your own emotions is really a higher priority than all of the techniques that I'm going to just kind of blow through next. Okay. The less you say, the better you're going to do. And recognizing when your own emotions are clouding your objectivity and taking space, acknowledging that, being vulnerable with that, then leads to them trusting you. You know, hey, I'm starting to get a little emotional about this. Let's take five minutes. Let me reground myself, put my game hat back on, and we'll get back into it. Like that is a trust builder with your person who you are trying to help. Okay. So all that being said, let's get into it. Um, Your goal as a coach, my role as a coach is primarily to listen, to listen and reflect. As a coach, my, my primary role is to be a mirror. Let the person who I'm trying to help see themselves from the outside in using their own words. Because your ears are where your bullshit detectors are. We only can see our our limiting beliefs and our logical fallacies when they come out of our mouth. Otherwise, we're just stuck in our head and everything that we think sounds true, right? So when you are in a conversation with somebody who is reflecting without judgment what you are saying, you are better able to say, huh, I don't know that that's always true, okay? And so when you are listening, here's the first cautionary tale that I want you to look for. There's a difference between personal listening and active listening. Most of the time in normal conversations, we are personal listening. We are engaged with what you're saying, but we are also listening to our own thoughts. Our brain is filtering and judging and evaluating and problem solving on the other person's behalf. You need to get out of the personal listening where you're paying attention to anything you think and shift 100% of your focus onto what is coming out of the other person's mouth. And this is where your emotions are your friends. Because as you start to feel resistance, fear, graspiness, fixitness, whatever, let those feelings alert you that you have lost focus on what the other person is saying. Okay, so you want to move from personal listening into active listening, where you are just recording what they are saying. And when the conversation, you know, when it's appropriate, reflecting what you are hearing. And I know as a parent, when I hear something that scares me, um, or that isn't good, or that my brain tells me I know I'm wrong, one of the most powerful ways to help somebody is to reflect what they're saying raw and unedited and then be quiet. So I hear you saying that you don't see any reason to keep on living. And then you drop it. And let them hear what they just said, as opposed to what I would want to say as a parent, but there are so many reasons to live and you just need to be more grateful and you need to just get out of your room a little bit more and get off your phone. Like blah, 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 blah. When you reflect what they just said out loud and drop it in front of them, you are offering them the opportunity to see their truth raw and unedited. And that is your role. The other thing that's really important is that you allow your emotions to inform you of when you are buying into the story and let that alert you that your role in some way is to escape the story. Because again, you, you, you can't solve a problem with the mindset that sees the problem. 
And I want to explain exactly what that means with a simple example that many of you listening, this is probably speaking to the situation that you're wanting to talk about. Okay, let's talk about somebody who's drinking too much. If you decide that their problem is that they are drinking too much, then the solution becomes to drink less, right? To control the behavior. But when you move out of and just say drinking is neutral, it's not good or bad or right or wrong. It's just there's some consequences that are creating some discomfort And that discomfort is creating motivation to do something different. What you want to do is flip the drinking as being the problem, as being a symptom of the real problem. That's what I mean in when you, you can't solve a problem with the mindset that sees this as a problem. No, the drinking is a symptom of the problem. You want to flip the problem that whatever is on the surface, the behavior likely that's causing the problem from being the cause of all this downstream distress, you know, bad behavior, financial, lack of reaching your goals, like all of this, like in that situation, drinking is the problem and your life falling apart is the downstream distress. But you want to flip that so that the drinking is actually the effect of an upstream situation. And you want to figure out what is the real problem. And like I've already told you, the real problem is likely not the facts of life, but this person's interpretations of the facts, this person's response to their own emotions, their own fears, their own setbacks, whatever. It's always emotional. Again, the emotional ownership statement Blank isn't the problem. Your thoughts and feelings about blank are the problem. So you are searching for the thoughts and feelings that are the real problem that are causing the behavior or the behaviors being used to soothe the emotions or avoid or numb or escape or whatever. So it's not drinking that's causing the problem in this example. It's a lack of purpose or a lack of self-care, a lack of vision for the future, or limiting beliefs or stupid beliefs like miseducation about alcohol. You know, let's talk about the fact that alcohol is a drug and a depressant and, you know, all of that. So the their, what's going on in their mind is triggering the behavior. And so alcohol abuse is just a symptom of the real problem. So the solution to the behavior or any other problem is always to ask better questions and to get outside of this little box where there's the cause and effect. Usually it's you flip the cause and the effect. Whatever you think is causing all the problems is always is usually the actually the effect of an upstream problem that you actually want to get into where if you go up there and change the thoughts and the beliefs that are driving the behavior, then you'll get new behaviors. The problem will take care of itself. But it's not your job to come up with all of those solutions as the helper in this story. Your job, quite frankly, I'm going to list it out. It's to listen, to listen And to reflect what you hear without judgment, without fixing, without filtering or changing, just reflect it. And to regulate your nervous system while you are doing this so that you are not allowing your emotions to cloud your ability to be objective and to serve this person to their highest good and to have no agenda and no yeah, no agenda to get them to think, do, or feel anything just to make you feel better. Okay. You're, you're, you've got a pure objective to just hold space for them. So you need to regulate your nervous system while you're doing that. And then finally, you need to be asking questions that redirect their focus to the upstream thoughts and feelings that they're having. Okay, so let's talk about when you are listening and what you are reflecting. What is it that you want to be reflecting? Besides just their cold, harsh truths, like, you know, if if they, in my previous example, say, 
you know, something to the effect that their life isn't worth living, which at some point you also may need to, to get professional help. I am giving you this information in good faith that you will only apply it to normal, um, non-clinical, non-acute mental health crises. Okay. But when you're listening, what are you listening for that you want to reflect and go deeper? One of the things you want to listen for is values. What's important to them? Not what's important to you, but what's important to them? Because we're motivated by our values. And everybody's motivated to do something and everybody values something. So chances are the person you are helping, they have values that they are not living by. And there's a reason for that. Okay. But their, their lived values do not match their ideal values. They are living in a world of that they should be doing something or they shouldn't, or they can't, um, if that makes sense. So they are denying their own values and not taking action because of something in their head is telling them that they can't. And that leads to the second thing you want to be listening for is their assumptions, is the limiting beliefs, is the story they're telling themselves about why they can't. And I want to caution you again here, the moment you agree with them that they can't, you're stuck in the story with them and you're both screwed. So just reflecting, because probably if you're talking to somebody who you raised or is in your family, you share the same limiting beliefs, which is why it's so important to to encourage them to seek outside counsel because you want them to, to think outside of the box. And if you live in the same damn box, it's going to be hard for you to do that without a lot of training. But I know that you're listening to this because you're going to give it your best and you're going to do it anyway. So I'm just trying to help you. But with your, you want to be listening for the assumptions, which look like something is always this way or something is never going to happen. It's not possible. Or that they somehow are lacking the tools or the resources to get what they need. It's going to take too much time. Like what is time, right? All time is now. Like that's, so just looking at what beliefs are holding them back and noticing they are beliefs, not facts. It's all made up in the head. The other assumption kind of formulaic is if this then that, where they've collapsed two different variables into one and it's become a block. If I do this, then that's going to happen or not going to happen. And it's very important for you as the listener, as the helper, to pull out in a non-judgmental way, like, oh, so you're saying that if you took four years and went and did this degree, then you'd be behind when you're 30? Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be behind? You know, and just start pulling out. I just obviously made that one up. But asking questions about their assumptions, like, well, is that really true? Is that always true? Um, What else could be true? Is that true for everybody or just some people? You know, and just really getting in and exploring what limiting beliefs they have and what rules, unspoken rules, unconscious rules, are they applying to this problem-solving situation that's keeping them um, stuck, okay? The other thing you want to listen for is called change talk. There are two types of talk when people are struggling. They're either talking about change, change talk, or they're talking about sustaining talk, sustaining talk, like why they're just going to stay the same and keep running laps around the cul-de-sac of stupidity. So you want to ignore sustained talk. You want to ignore anything they say that is an argument against change. Just ignore it like it doesn't exist. Why? Because the more you can elicit change talk, get them to make their mouths say words that they can actually say and then hear. Remember, their their ears are what's, their bullshit detectors. Their ears are where they hear the truth. When they hear themselves say it, they believe it. So do not lean in or cause sustain talk. 
Do not allow them to go down the path where they're explaining to you why this is true. Constantly be redirecting. And that's a skill that you're not qualified to do. I'm just telling you, when you notice, it's easier to avoid re, re, uh, reinforcing sustained talk. It's easier to avoid that than it is to elicit change talk. That's a higher level skill. However, if you are aware, at least you'll know when to stop talking, right? Or to end the conversation. Because the more time they spend convincing themselves that what they believe that they're currently doing is the way they need to be or are going to be, the more you're helping them dig themselves into a hole, all right? When you get an opportunity to hear them say something about change, that's where you want to lean in. Because people talk themselves into change. The more they hear themselves say what their value is or where they've realized, oh, that's not even true. That's a limiting belief. The more they hear themselves say that, the more they believe it. We believe what we think. We believe even more what we say. It's like you get three points if it comes out your mouth. The ultimate ninja skill as a coach is when I can get people to come up with their own solutions. You know, what do they say? You can lead a horse to water, but if you teach them how to drink. So I often will go into a a, a session and I'm really focused on how do I get that person to propose the solution And when I propose the solution for them, because sometimes I have to, you know, I mean, I only get an hour with people or whatever, but when I propose the solution, even if it's a good one, and even if it's perfect, it's not as powerful as when they propose the solution. Does that make sense? So in this conversation, big picture, they need help. You've got their consent to ask for help. They've agreed that they want your help. Now you are listening and you are reflecting You want to avoid over-talking, like your role in the conversation, they should be doing about 90% of the talking. They should be creating their own solutions. You are reinforcing positive things that you feel will help them towards change. And then, you know, maybe asking them to say more. Say more is one of the most powerful things as a coach I can do, especially when I feel emotionally that I want to solve a problem. My, I've trained my brain if I want to start getting into a proposed solution with them or trying to help them see a different perspective. What I often do is just buy myself more time and say more, say more. And the more a person talks about it, the more they are exposing the problem. So you're just getting to deeper and deeper layers. You know, we start on the surface of, okay, let's use the example of drinking too much. And then, okay, well, really, it's because I am, you know, not taking care of myself somewhere else. Okay, say more about that. Well, it's because I'm dealing with some depression and anxiety. Okay, say more about that. You, The more they say, the, the deeper they go peeling the onions, the more you're exposing and bringing up everything that needs to be addressed for them to not deal with this as a superficial problem where if you just change your behaviors and hold your breath, everything's going to be fine. But it really exposes their motivation and helps them see where they're not living into their values. That's where their perspective can really begin to expand. And that's the goal here, right? They're stuck in a box. They're stuck in a story. Your purpose as their emergency or adjunct coach is to expand their perspective, to ask what else could be true. And so then as you move through and now we've got it all laid out and you've reflected the things that you want, okay, then where do you go from here? How do you actually help resolve the conversation in a way that they walk away with something? Here's just a couple of questions when you do stumble upon a limiting belief Um, or an unlived value. And that is, what are you making that mean? So certain set of facts get shared, certain circumstance. What are you making that mean? What else could it mean? Another one of my favorite coaching questions is, why is that a problem? Why are you making that a problem? 
Because again, the fact is never the problem. It's always our thoughts and feelings about it. So why is that a problem? Why are you making that a problem? Does that need to be a problem? Is trying to solve that problem serving you? Or would it be better if you focused on something else? Another good question is, what needs to change for you to move forward? Like, what needs to change? Let them tell you. That's a, that's, that's a direct question that will elicit change talk. What needs to change? And I want to give you this piece of advice. If you're ever in a situation where you want to argue for change on their behalf, again, just know that you are helping them dig a deeper hole. If there's ever an opportunity to argue, it is literally called reverse psychology. If, for example, just an opener in a conversation, if somebody comes to you and says, I think you have a drinking problem, 100% of the time, people are going to say, no, I don't. I don't drink as much as so-and-so. I didn't drink last Wednesday. I've actually cut back quite a bit on my drinking. They are hardwired to argue. Okay, so you can use that to your advantage. If they're going to argue with something, let them argue on behalf of change. What would that require of you to do? To argue against change. So occasionally a strategy that can work is if you hear them say, you know, I really kind of think I'm drinking too much. A response might be, well, is it really that bad? Or... I haven't noticed a huge change in you. Like, are you really think there's a reason to worry? Or I'm not worried about you. That would be another good parenting move. Like, I'm not worried about you. I'm sure that you can figure this out. You say something like that, their fears are going to bubble up and they're going to respond and go deeper and open a door that they might not otherwise go down. So use reverse psychology only in the correct direction to elicit that change talk. I hope that helps. Um, Then I said to ask what needs to change. What needs to change? Big picture about your life. What needs to change? Because often we think it's the behavior that needs to change. But I want you to consider this analogy. If you find a a tomato plant in your garden and it's got rusty leaves and rotten fruit and it just looks like crap, you never look at that plant and say, What a dumb, dysfunctional, stupid plant. Probably a drunk. You don't do that. You know it's the environment. You know it's the soil, the air quality, the rain quality, the, you know, microbial contents, the fertilizer. Like, who knows? It's not the plant. It's the environment. So when you ask what needs to change, direct them bigger than I need to change. I'm the problem. Help them identify the things in their environment, which can include their own behaviors, things that they're not doing, right? Self-care or being tied to a good friend group or having a purpose, all of that. But helping them see that it's not them, it's the lack of balance or, or, or having their needs met. It's unmet needs that are the problem, not them personally. So asking what needs to change And then another one, a follow-up from that is, this is where if you're doing this as a parent or a family member or something, then here's a bottom line question. What do you need to help yourself change? What resources, what support, you know, accountability, guidance, um, what, what community, what do you need? What would change if you had these things? How would that help you step up and step into doing the work that you need to change? Another good question, um, occasionally it's appropriate, it gets annoying if you overuse it, ask me how I know. But another good question is on a scale of one to 10, how ready are you to change? And here's the ninja move with that one and why I love to use it, even though it gets annoying. On a scale of one to 10, how ready are you to change? They say a six. Reverse psychology this. 
instead of saying, oh, why aren't you an eight? You should be more motivated. Or, well, yeah, that does suck. You're only a six. So I guess you're, eh, I guess I'll see you next week. Same time. No, reverse psychology that say a six. Wow. That's actually pretty high. Tell me what makes you a six. Now that elicits that change talk, that elicits the values that they're wanting to lean into, that that helps them harness the motivation and gets them to speak out loud and reinforce what it is that they want and why they want it. So if I'm telling you I'm thinking about doing a month sobriety and, I, and you say how, how on a scale of one to 10, where are you with following through on that? And they're like a six, like, oh wow, what makes it that high? you know, because that's actually pretty good. And they're like, well, you know, because in a month from now, I want this and I can't keep doing that or whatever. Like, does that make sense? And that example brings up another frame of reference that you need to be aware of. Let's say they do decide to pursue a month of sobriety. Well, you have to stop looking at their progress and your own with the black or white all or nothing nothing thinking. So a fixed mindset is a a mindset where you feel like it is what it is. You are who you are and you're not going to be able to change. A growth mindset is somebody who understands that a lack of performance or a setback just means that you need more help, support, experience, guidance, knowledge, all of that. So I want to use this I want to set a month of sobriety as an example of how to change the way you're approaching things. Most of us, and if you're listening to this, you've probably experienced where you've said, okay, I'm going to do a month of sobriety. And then maybe you do it for two weeks and then there's a wedding and your friends come in from out of town and you don't see them very often and you end up having you know, three or four drinks, and you wake up the next morning with a wee bit of a hangover. It is that moment that determines whether or not you keep going with your goal or whether you use the failure as an excuse to give up. So if you go to AA or your program to see that that decision to drink as a relapse or a failure, you're going to be focused on the problem. Why couldn't I do it? What is wrong with me? A growth mindset is to focus on the wins and the learning opportunity. So waking up with the hangover and thinking, wow, I do not miss this feeling. And I'm so proud of myself for doing the two weeks of sobriety. And I can't believe I actually have a hangover because I only drank three or four, which must mean my brain chemistry is already resetting, which is really good news. I'm excited to keep going with this goal and see where it goes as opposed to, well, I already drank and clearly I'm not capable of staying sober or I don't even want to stay sober because I don't want to give up, you know, time with my friends. And then you go back to drinking. This fixed mindset is what keeps us on the hamster wheel. And so when you're trying to help someone, your child or a loved one, you have to hold space for the growth mindset where they don't. So your job is to show them the wins, the evidence that they are making progress right in the middle of a screw up. You approach them with a growth mindset and you teach them how to focus on solutions instead of getting stuck and tied down by wallowing in the problem. Because the situation itself is always neutral. It's how you respond to that situation. And learning to respond by noticing where you're improving, what you've learned from the setback, why you want to continue to keep going and keep trying is the game changer. And so in your daily interactions with your person, the more you can point to their progress, no matter how small it is, like it's your job to extricate the progress from the situation. Point it out and notice them. Be their cheerleader. Show them where they actually are moving forward. You hold that space for them. That is going to help them so much more than you buying into the story that they keep screwing up and reinforcing the idea with them that, yeah, 
there's a problem and it's them. All right. So um, finally, to, to bring all of this home, we only move forward when we know where we're going. It's like getting in your car and not plugging in your coordinates and someone else, you know, you're driving, but somebody else is in charge. Well, where are we going? I'm not even going to bother to pull out of the driveway if I don't know where we're going. And so that's the same thing is, you know, the question, what do you want your life to look or feel like in a year? Like, what is that? Because most of us make the mistake of thinking we're just going to wake up one day and get it all right. So I'm probably going to do that Monday or after the first of the year or after my next vacation. Like, I'm just going to flip a switch. It's not how it works. What do you want your life to look like in a year? What would you want to feel like about yourself in a year? then that's where that's holding that space for that vision, your belief that they can actually make that happen, and then helping them cut that into 365 bite-sized pieces with 24-hour subparts for each piece where they're taking little tiny low-bar actions to move themselves forward, setting smaller goals. But you have to know the big picture, the vision of where it is that you want to go. And then stay focused only on the evidence that they are making progress and point that out and reflect that to them and show them the bigger picture where they're at. As long as they're facing forward, they're going to get where they need to go. And every time you turn around and get back into the old ways of you can't control yourself or this is a problem or you're a problem, you're facing the wrong way. You have to face forward. You have to hold space for the vision and then realize there are so many hurdles and your job is to be the cheerleader and to believe that they are capable until they can believe it for themselves. You're holding space for their vision. Okay. So I hope this helps. This is your pep talk. You are now uh, certified to be a parental do your best, do it yourself, coach. And I wish you the best of luck. If you find this episode helpful, please let me know. Please let me know what worked, what you liked, what further questions you have. I recorded this whole thing because somebody asked me a question. That's how I roll. And if you know of anybody that you want to share this episode with who's struggling with their child's behavior, addiction, substance use, whatever, then please share this episode. If not on your socials, then send somebody a text with the link. The more people that understand there are tools and strategies for helping that actually help and that are counterintuitive to everything that we think we know about helping. The more people that understand that, the more we can move the needle in our culture because it's time. We're just doing it wrong. So share this episode, reach out to me with your feedback, and thanks for listening.